We now go live to our correspondent in Zimbabwe. I can tell you that the mood here on the streets of Harare seems to be one of utter jubilation. Excuse me, sir. I am so happy. We have liberty. You appear to be ecstatic that Robert Mugabe has resigned. What? Robert Mugabe, your former president, has gone. Oh, okay. No, this is still the party to celebrate Bernie Ecclestone getting fired. Hello and welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth. He's Zog. Hello. And he's Alex Goy. Hello. Hey man, welcome back to Gareth Jones on Speed. How lovely to have you with us. Lovely to be here, chap. And I have to say, this is the first time in quite a while that we've had an actual racing driver on Gareth Jones on Speed. Because you are one of those now, aren't you? I have used my race licence precisely once, yes. Do you get a race licence at the post office like you get a fishing licence? Is that where you go? The test is easy enough, so yeah, maybe. Really? Yeah, to get your race licence, you give a man lots of money, you learn some flags, and then you have to prove to them you can do laps around a circuit without being a complete moron... And then they go, congratulations, say you've passed. And then you get a little plastic card with your picture on the back and it says National B. And then, yeah, you can race in the UK. You make it sound like it's pretty easy to become a racing driver. It honestly is. It's the easiest licence test I've ever taken. Really? But actual racing driving is really hard. So why (laughs) why are you a racing driver now? What was the event? I was honoured to be a part of Mission Motorsports team at the Race of Remembrance. It's something they do every year over Remembrance Sunday. The event itself starts on the Thursday for testing and things like that and everyone turns up and then Friday is testing, practice and night qualifying. Then on proper grown-up stuff. This year was the first year it was a 12-hour endurance race. So you have night qualifying for every driver in a team, so the four in our team. And then Saturday morning was daytime qualifying, then a supercar event. It was Anglesey Circuit. Lots of supercars turn up and they take beneficiaries of Mission Motorsport out and the marshals, of course, because they're all volunteers. And I suppose we should just quickly say that Mission Motorsport is the outfit that has disabled service personnel. Mission Motorsport's job is essentially, to use the words of Major James Cameron, who is the chief officer of Mission Motorsport, is they fix broken blokes with fast cars. Ah, That's a good mission. So if you've been in the forces and due to injury at any point in your career, could have been in the theatre of war, could have been in training, could have been in a workshop somewhere, anything, and you've had to leave the forces, they can help you. The idea being that they use... Fast cars or slow cars or fixing cars or designing liveries for cars, wrapping cars, anything automotive. Mm. They'll take you in, they'll train you up and the idea is to either get you a qualification or a job somewhere and get you back on your feet. Because Mm. a lot of people, the forces have been their entire lives Mm. and then all of a sudden they found themselves out in the real world with lots of letters on their CV that modern HR managers don't understand Mm -hmm or with confidence issues, or with many injuries. Some you can see, some you really can't. I have to ask, you've got all your limbs, and you don't twitch when there's a loud bang outside. Yes. So how come you were driving for Mission Motorsport? Well, Major Jim likes to get me into trouble quite a lot. So the first time this happened, we were drunk at an awards due, 
and we were talking about going but sideways. You were having a meeting at an award, too. Oh, it? no, we were oh, really you were drunk. drunk. Okay. We were really <laughs> drunk. We were out of your tree spanned, and Jim said... What the hell's that? Yeah, talking about banging out, outside, outside and you didn't it. jump. I am lucky enough to not have PTSD. <laughs> Over the course of the weekend, I met some people who do have it, and it's serious. It's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And those guys are amazing with what they've done. Anyway, sorry. Um, Major Jim and I were very drunk as an awards do. Uh, we were talking about YouTube videos, and I said, I can't really do the sideways. We'll, we'll sort that out. Anyway, the next January, I get an email. Subject line, February 2nd. Body copy. Sideways, you in? And that was that. And I went down nice to Thruxton and I met a bunch of the Mission Motorsport guys. And the idea of those days are to get people either out to do training for qualifications or instructor training or just to keep their eye in, or to get former soldiers, former forces guys out for the day, just yeah, to yeah. give them a day out, a mm-hmm. reason to get out of bed, mm-hmm. to learn a new skill, or just to watch some cars go in silly angles and I was taught to drift by a chap called Lionel O'Connor now Lionel's a fascinating chap he's got a left leg amputation I'm sorry about this but I'm so distracted by what sounds like a potential war zone outside (laughs) I've actually got to just just check that the third world war hasn't broken out lots of fireworks bonfire night was some time ago now what are they doing yeah yeah. sorry Lionel taught you how to drift Lionel's a left leg amputee and he taught me to drift a manual Mazda MX-5. So he could uh, drive a manual car with he one uses, leg? He uses a literal stick shift. What he does is he gets out of his wheelchair and he pops himself in a car and he says, give me a stick. And he gets a walking stick, jams it down on the clutch, leans over, sticks it in first, then nails the throttle and just lets go of the stick. And then you go down the straight and you need to be in second because you need to get a bit of momentum behind you. And then he grabs his stick again jams the clutch down, leans over, sticks it in second, releases the clutch, and off he goes. So he's got both hands free. And he taught me to go sideways. We were racing a Honda CRV, which is not a likely car to be racing anyway. No. no. Hang on, isn't that a four-wheel drive with a continuously variable transmission, and it sits about 20 feet tall? It's not a CVT, mercifully. It's an automatic. It's a nine-speed. Ah, okay, slush speed. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 even so, not not, not, not a great racing prospect. It's, it, it's not a great so. racing prospect, but one of the jobs Mission Motorsport does is they help manufacturers with testing, do various aspects of it. And Lionel and the crew were out with Honda a while back. They were doing some testing on the new Civic, so Type R and the one-liter CVT. And of course, Lionel couldn't drive the Type R because it's a manual, not an automatic. So he spent all of his time in this CVT one litre Civic. And the feedback he gave, because that's the car he drives day to day, and he told them basically, this needs to feel more like a proper gearbox, not something awful. And so over the course of their time, Lionel told them how to make it feel like a normal gearbox for people that actually use them. The job he did was so good that his name is in the code of that car. So the one litre Civic CVT is what... Civic CVT underscore Lionel because he made it feel like that. How wonderful. It's brilliant. And because of his involvement, they ended up with this CRV. They said, let's turn it into a race car. It was a last minute build and they had as many bits as they could get their hands off within time and budget. And Hmm. yeah, it was a ridiculous thing. It was lowered, it was on adaptable dampers, there was nothing inside bar a massive roll cage, a baby on board sticker, 
Um, a race seat. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Increasingly fashionable on race cars these days. Yep. I don't know if anyone's aware of that, but um, uh, happens to be true. <laughs> it was ludicrous. We had the race seat, we had the steering wheel, the normal instrument binnacle, and the sat nav. The Bluetooth still worked because that remained, but there were no speakers left, obviously. The team, the guys I was driving with, were just phenomenal. So we have Lionel. Without him, we wouldn't have the car. He is a seriously quick guy. He is so fast, and he's got little faith in a lot of ability. He was knocking out some amazing lap times. He had Major James Cameron, who is a proper racing driver. He's been doing it for years and years and years, and manages to destroy lots of tyres very quickly, and overtake a lot of things that were not happy to be overtaken by a family car. I nicknamed it the Flying Hippo because that's what it is. It's um, not the most elegant of cars. It's not the prettiest. It does a job. I drove a CRV there because at Motor One we have a CRV long termer, so I thought it'd be a nice comparison. Nice. The drive home was more brisk than I probably should have <laughs> should have done. I was like, I recognise this. I saw red. Um, our other driver was John Allen Butterworth, who's a Paralympic cyclist. Medal winner. He's been associated with Mission Motorsport for a long time. He was in the force himself. He is also seriously quick. And then me, I'm not that fast. It was my first ever race. It was brilliant. The car, whatever they did to it, it was absolute magic because it handled beautifully. It has this nine-speed automatic gearbox, and that was a bit rubbish. But it was still capable of putting in sub-two-minute lap times of Anglesey. Could you go up and down the box, or was it just it did what it did? You could, but it overrode you. Right. So you could go in, and you'd brake, and it would kind of do its thing, and you could pull the paddles in sport mode, and it would sort of do it, but yeah. the ratios are quite far apart, so it yeah. would never be as sprightly. But that said, it was a 1.6-litre diesel, so... <laughs> Wow. On the downside, not much power, but there was some decent torque. But also, we didn't use that much fuel. Good in an endurance race. Yes, oh, very wow. good in an endurance race. We did have to have nine mandatory four-minute pit stops over the 12 hours. Right. So what happens is it starts at 3 o'clock on the Saturday afternoon, and then at 9 p.m. it breaks until 9 a.m. the next morning. And the last driver on Saturday is the first driver on on Sunday. Right. So okay. my first stint was about 25 past eight on the Saturday night Gosh. because I, I made it a little bit clear that after nighttime qualifying, I was not that happy in the dark. My first race, mm. we'll just send you out in the pitch black. They got oh. that. Okay. Was the circuit lit in any way at all? No, no, no. All it's headlamps. All headlamps. We had this massive light bar on the front. There are cat's eyes all the way around it, so you can yeah. sort of see, but... I have very, very small pupils. <laughs> like, always small in light or dark. And I'm I... looking at your pupils yeah. now. Check them out. I, can't, you know, I haven't got my glasses in, I can't see anything. They're on your head, Gary. Oh, that's why I can see <laughs> Is that good or bad? You somebody... do have tiny, tiny, mm. tiny, tiny, tiny pupils. So when... is, is that a good or a bad thing if somebody's kind of going, so, OK, is this guy on drugs? What's going on? Every, every time I go to the optician, they say, uh... have you been on any fun? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> every time. I'm not very good in the dark. Uh-huh, you have to. So yeah, the yeah. levels we're on now, I'm sure you guys are coping just fine. I can yeah. adjust to it, but I would have more lamps on. To be like it's a bit super dark for you. I don't do that. Wow. I have a weird face, basically. And um, so I was kind of struggling and papping myself because it's my first race, and there's lots of buzzy little caterums. They were much lighter, much faster, with much more experienced drivers in them. Like anyone would be more experienced than me on that circuit. And so I was kind of in a zone of crippling fear 
frankly. Just, just <laughs> basically trying. You just don't want to screw up. You, yeah. don't, you don't want to hit anybody. Yeah. You want to get yeah. round. And yeah. Get round it. Yeah. And make sure the car yeah. comes back in the same shape right. because it's an important car. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's not your car. It's not it's my car. It's the invitational class as well. So there's a few of us, okay. but we weren't expecting any big results. But I just wanted to make sure that the next morning, in the light, I had a car that was the same shape and worked, and so I could right. hand it on to the next guy. But before it was given to me, we refuelled, but we forgot to turn the engine off, which is You're not bad. allowed to We're do that. We're not allowed to. So no, you no. got oh. a 10 second So we got a drive-through penalty. Uh. But I didn't know this until, uh, well... Until when, after you should have taken and, the drive-through penalty. Yeah, so what happened was one of the big bits of racing is you need to communicate with your team. Yes. And we do this with a pit board. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now... I'd done some laps and was in a zone of basically abject terror, stay in a line, do the thing. There was a safety car and I was just following the car in front, trying not to screw up, just get it done, get the car back. After a while, I noticed there were some lights shining from the pit wall. I saw them once and went, oh, that's pretty. Oh, well, off I go, went back round. Then I saw it and said, oh, it's my pit board. 102, come Mm. in. It's 102 in. So I went in and thought, oh, is there something wrong with the car? Is there something broken? Is it on fire? I can't see or smell or hear anything. I killed and someone. I, <laughs> so I, I appeared about four minutes before the race was due to end. I appeared. I heard a big cheer and they waved me on. And I went, oh, must be fine then. Oh, well. Yeah, to out a look at the car. Yeah. So I got in. I rejoined the back of the safety car lineup. It was last through the scrutineering for all the flaps and whatever to be covered up so we couldn't refuel or do anything to it overnight. And I got back in. And everyone was kind of a bit giggly, and they went, oh, by the way, we've got a drive through Oh, what happened? What was the deal with the pit stop? And then they all just started laughing and went, well, because we did the refuelling thing, we had a drive through but because you didn't see it for nine laps, <laughs> we have another drive through like, So what was the deal with it? It's like, right, Will, the lovely bloke who's on a pit crew, went, so here's what happened. We tried to get you in. You missed it. We tried to get you in. So another person came out with a light. Didn't see that. I went out for a cigarette break to the loo for a cup of tea, came back, and you still weren't in. At this point, there were about eight people on the pit wall waving all the lights. I gave them a prosthetic leg to wave at you. Really? Yeah, yeah. And you still didn't see us. We were shouting all manner of profanity at you, and you didn't see us. And when you came in, we were relieved. By the way, you owe us all a beer. It was an expensive night, but I thoroughly deserved it. It was pure nerves, and it was brilliant. And you know what? I came out my first race, my first stint of my first race, with the car in the right shape, and if the worst that happened was a drive-through the next morning and several beers... Perfect. Small I, th- I think so, yeah. No, that, that's a good... Well, 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 congratulations on a respectable performance in your first race. Well, the best thing was, the team, the four of us, we managed to get through... The next morning went out, I had another big stint, didn't crash it, didn't bend it, took a BMW that was faster than us. Thank you. Okay. I was very happy. It wasn't in the script, but we came third in our class. No! Congratulations! That sounds respectable. Yeah, we weren't expecting to do it. There were other people in our class, but somehow the flying hippo, the 1.6-litre <laughs> diesel family car with a slow gearbox, it turns out... Three of the drivers were chuffing brilliant, and the other one was lucky to be with them. Well, <laughs> which one were we you? We won't then? ask which one you were. Then. I'm the lucky one. They're so the talented How has this changed your perspective on the skill sets of 
race drivers now who will be doing 180 miles per hour and will get an instruction change FCE to auxiliary or they're going to turn 12 magnetos to change things you couldn't even see someone waving a prosthetic leg I, I couldn't look up and to the left to see many lights and a prosthetic leg being waved at me yeah, it's very stressful. It's very different. I think I prefer the day to the night. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll admit to that one. During the day, could see it perfectly. Uh, honest. <clears throat> but it's, you know what, having never done it, you know my thoughts on motorsport. I like some of it and I don't like other bits of it. Correct. I, yeah. I, I find it a bit odd and I think we're going to talk about that a bit later. But having now done it, I get it so much more. Le Mans is this amazing environment where you've got all these incredible drivers, but it's more about the people and the stuff that goes with it. And having been on the tarmac for an endurance race, yeah, it's not as big as Le Mans, but there's still people there. The crew we work with, the people that are involved with Mission Motorsport, the people that come to watch and support them or just drive alongside them. Mm. Everyone there was absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's just stunning, amazing human beings. It's a team thing. We get it working in production. You know, you're working in a good TV production with a whole group of tremendously skilled people from the researcher to the prop maker to the VT guys, the directors. It's deeply, deeply satisfying. And I've always thrived off that. I can't remember if I've ever told you this story before, but when I was working on A1GP, I befriended a number of the teams. You know, to show some bias, some of the teams I got on better with than others. And the Irish team were very much my home team. Being a Welshman, there was no Welsh team. You know, the Irish were the next best thing. And I always felt genuine affection to these guys because they just ran such the most professional garage of anyone. And they were just fun and nice. And then one night in, may have been Portugal, could have been Mexico, I can't remember now. There had been some drinking. They decided to have a competition at a club that we were at after the race that night. And they were stealing all the cushions off the sofas in this club and stacking them. And these are quite thick vinyl cushions of some two foot height, you know. And they were stacking them up and we were trying to climb to the top. And I was volunteered to be part of the Irish team. And we got to the highest, you know, I don't know how many we had. But that sense of working with a team of people who would not let you down. There were a dozen people all holding these cushions stacked up. Someone supporting me, someone holding onto my belt, someone holding my foot. You know, I was literally supported by the mechanics in the team. And that's what it must feel like as a driver and it's enormously satisfying you know they will let you down you cannot let them yeah. what is it they mm. said during the Apollo missions it won't fail because of me yeah, I, I, exactly, I've got yeah. a sense yeah, of that exactly. and I think what we get from motorsport as punters it's wonderful it's satisfying but I think for the people who choose to do that for a living yeah the money's good yeah the travel's good for a while until you've done it for a few years and you're fed up that sense of we're going to do this together. It's like being in an army. It's probably a good comparison. Over the course of the weekend, we interviewed a lot of the guys because That's we're making doing. a film about it because I've worked with Mission Motorsport, kind of made films about them for ages. Yeah. And every one of those guys, everyone we spoke to, some on camera, a lot of them off because some of them aren't ready to talk about their injuries or they just don't want to, which mm -hmm. is fair enough. Some of them are. In the case of some, it's obvious. In the case of others, it isn't. Mm. And you meet some guys who have seen some stuff or experienced some stuff, lost mates right in front of them. Yeah. You can't see what the problem is. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing because mm. I was chatting with someone and we were outside. We were sharing a cigarette 
and he was trying to light his using me as a windbreak and I accidentally brushed a bit of ash on his hat and I went up to brush it off his head and he went, you're lucky there. I hate it when people touch my head. Oh, I would have lamped you. Oh, because that's yeah, part like of trigger. it. He had a head injury. Mm, and yeah. so he's very sensitive about that. And, you know, mm. it's things like you'll see someone who looks just like a bloke yeah. or a lady. And you mm. think, oh, Brian, bouncy, you're bubbly, you're having a great conversation. Then he talks to them more. And they've had everything they know about their lives taken away from them like that. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing they always say is the camaraderie, the people around them. So, you know, I went in as a complete outsider. Yeah, I've got stuff going on. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But, you know, I could never imagine going through or experiencing what they've experienced. By the end of that weekend, every single one of them is a friend Mm. and a teammate. Fantastic. And you can't replicate that. And we we are very fortunate Mm. not to have had to have gone through some of the experiences that those people have been through. Can anyone take part in the Race of Remembrance, you know? Yeah, I believe you can enter. The Mm. fees aren't as massive as you'd imagine. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you have a team or a car... This year, I believe the engine size limit is 2,000cc. Uh, and what's the, event called, what's the event called again? It's, it's the Race of Remembrance. The so Race it of takes, Remembrance, It yeah. takes place over Remembrance Sunday every year. And what happens is, yeah, you've got the qualifying on Friday night, Saturday morning, the supercar events. If you've got something jazzy, do volunteer it because you get to drive around Anglesey and you get to take people out and it's give them a few laps quite of, a fun. Lot of fun. Yeah. Then the race starts on Saturday afternoon. Sunday morning it restarts. Then at 10.45, everything stops. Drivers come in, cars go on the grid. And then there's a remembrance service in the pit lane. And this oh. year we had the new Mission Motorsport Poppy Car, which is a Jaguar F-Type SVR with this amazing wrap on it. It's kind of a, a, a photo, photovoltaic, I'm not sure if that's the right phrase. <laughs> Photorealistic? Well, well, photochromatic, photosensitive. Uh, photochromatic, I think, is the jam. So it changes colour as you look round it. Uh-huh. Um, and it has poppies oh. on it. In some lights it's yellow, in some lights it's black. The poppies are always red and it has in Flanders Fields, the poem yeah. written mm-hmm. across it. Beautiful thing as a safety car, as a standout thing, as an art car, it's just beautiful. There's been a spin-off charity called Operation Motorsport, which covers the US and Canada, does a similar, if not the same thing. And it was the most moving thing. We had a male voice choir singing just stunning things. You could have heard a pin drop. Uh-huh. It was beautiful. And then the race mm. restarted. And now, remembrance services never be the same again. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it's personal mm. now, isn't mm. it? I get that. So, mm. now that you're a professional race driver... <laughs> Le Mans next year, Alex? Uh, I'll see you in the Guinness tent, mate. Yeah. As usual. (laughs) (laughs) Learn French with Toyota Motorsport Director Pascal Vassillon. Nous espérons la victoire à Le Mans l'année prochaine. We hope to win at Le Mans next year. Nous sommes pilotes excellents. We've signed Fernando Alonso, but we can't tell you about it yet. Aussi, notre voiture est fantastique. Also, we have literally no rivals. And if we don't win it, oh God, I'm so going to get fired. Step Central! We start Jones on speed! If you're the kind of person who downloads this podcast, and if you're hearing me say this, and you certainly are, then you're the kind of person who likes motorsport. But as Alex said earlier on, which facet of motorsport do you like? Because the world of motorsport is so broad. You've got drag racing at one end and... Uh, lawnmower racing. At the other end. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
and in the middle... Everything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're that, here. That's all you need to know about motorsport. So it's very difficult. I love all motorsports. I say, oh, I love all motorsport. It comes on, I quite enjoy it. But for even me, who loves all motorsport, there is aspects of motorsport I've got very little patience with. I can't work NASCAR. NASCAR doesn't speak to me. And yet IndyCar does. What's the big difference there, really? What do you mean? Rednecks. I, yeah. Rednecks is the difference. I don't mind touring cars, but I'd much rather rallying and motorcycle racing. I'm sorry, I would like to like it, but I simply haven't got enough time in my life for motorcycle racing. Let you know? not do it for you. Well, I've got lots of that, but I don't need to ride my bike. For- I used to ride a motorbike. I've ridden a bike for years. I've made a video. In fact, you want to search this, How to Pass the Motorbike Test, presented by me, 1990. Does that make much of a difference? Because I have, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm not really too bothered about motorbike racing. I can see why people might love it, but it doesn't do anything for me. And I wonder if that is because I just don't ride a bike. So yeah, yeah. I'm finding yeah. it a bit harder to identify with that, I, with the racing. I think maybe. it's Alex's experience that having done some motor racing, you look at all motor racing now and go, respect to the driver. Hmm. Hmm. And I think as a motorcyclist, you look at those guys doing impossible things, sliding the front and the back and getting their knee down. No, no. no. I like going fast, but no. That's just dangerous. I don't want to put my kneecap next to it's curbing. Sucks. That's just stupid. It's a bit mental. But then a on the bit. other hand, but don't we also slightly admire the borderline mentalness of what these drivers are doing? There's no borderline yeah. about it, Mr. Ierson, whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> <And> mentalness. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Utter mentalness. So, if you had to eliminate any type of motorsport... What would it be? I think I know what you're going to say, Alex. It's going to be really unpopular, but Formula One. I knew you'd say that. I know you and literally everyone who listens to this likes it, but it's an advert for many things apart from sportsmanship, and uh, that's about it. Also, it's got Lewis Hamilton in it. Talented driver, bit of a tit. (laughs) So, so, So you are going to can an entire sport because you don't like one man? No, I'm going to can an entire sport because... I remember when it was great, not when it was great, of course, because it was great long before I was into it. I remember when I could watch it. And that's the thing. When Jake Humphreys took over on the BBC, and I know a lot of people didn't like that because, oh, he doesn't know anything about motorsport. And how dare he touch this because he doesn't know this. He's he not Murray Walker that. and he's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's only one Murray Walker and he's Murray Walker. So, yeah, Jake Humphreys took over. And you know what? He was learning the same time as a lot of viewers because Mm -hmm. it had just come back to the BBC. They had the experts. They had DC. They had Eddie Jordan. They had the people who knew about it, who'd lived it. And they had this one everyman bloke who understood a bit. And it was great to learn with him. And he clearly put the effort in and you learnt alongside him. And that was fantastic. And then Sky bought Formula One. And they couldn't watch it anymore. Okay, some races are on Channel 4. And yeah, it's a great show, but... Mm. It's not the Sunday afternoon BBC thing anymore. It's mm-hmm. the, oh, there's going to be ad breaks, and there's going to be this, and there's going to be that. Yeah. And it vanished completely It kind of took it away radar. from your yeah. sort of, out of your world. And yeah. yeah. And that's the problem with all motorsport, really, is that when can you sit down on the four main channels and turn it on? Earlier, before we went on there, we were talking about levels of interest in motorsport, because I think we all agree, interest in motorsport generally is declining, and we were trying to figure out what's going on here. And you think that the lack of exposure is one of the big problems. I think it's access to it, because what always amazes me is whenever I see like a, a big, a big motorsport event, 
like Le Mans or like WEC or like Formula One or WRC. Loads of sponsorship, loads of money goes into it, but you don't really see it outside of that race or of any channels that are dedicated to motorsport. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, WEC isn't easy to watch, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. F1, unless you have a Sky subscription or do the Now TV thing, isn't easy to watch. Yeah. Whereas it used to be, there would be a segment on the BBC of Rallycross. There would be Formula One. I remember being able to watch rallies on Channel 4, I think it was, mm-hmm. years and years and years Correct. and years and years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. It was on long. early in the morning or it was yeah. on late on a Sunday afternoon, but it was there. Mm. Now, it's all Premier League, occasionally rugby, some cricket during the weekdays. That's really about it. We've had a huge proliferation of TV channels Mm. as the media landscape has changed in the last 20, 30 years. From there being four channels that you might be able to watch on a Sunday afternoon, there are and then an extra one, many ten. And this, (laughs) I haven't found that one yet. Five, five. Five. It's one after four. Friday night, about eleven. Is that right? It used to be. Yeah, they did the. Sorry, this is completely off. Oh, they they, did like that fuzzed. (laughs) They they did the Channel Four thing. So when Channel Four started, they had the red triangle where something might get a bit racy. So Channel Five, when it launched. Guess who was coming of age when Channel 5 launched? Um, <laughs> fr- Friday, Saturday night, softcore porn, guaranteed boobs and simulated jiggy. Pretty good. Pretty good. You see, that's what Formula One needs. More guaranteed boobs. Yes, well, a speaker thing that didn't proliferate. Many more sports channels than we had. So it's competing. But it's all it has... spread out. That's right. the thing. It's, yeah. all it's diluted. And that, that, well, that's with all media at the moment. You could go to Netflix and watch Star Trek or yeah. Brooklyn Nine-Nine or some in-depth documentaries and mm-hmm. some really crazy dramas. Or you could go to Amazon and watch The Grand Tour or Parks and Rec or The Man in the High Castle. But all good choices, by all, the way. But the point is, we're all choices. subscribing to yeah. what we have discovered yeah, and yeah. like, but we're all subscribing to different things. We've created mm. ghettos. There are more niches. Yeah, there are yeah, more yeah, niches yeah. For us yeah. To go to. The original model of free-to-air Formula One, mm-hmm. which makes all the advertising on the cars pay for it suddenly... Yeah has been taken away when it went to the subscription model. A live stream would be fantastic, Mm -hmm. but the problem is you've got to point people towards the live stream, and the only people that hear about it are the people that read specialist niche publications. So if you read Autocar, Top Gear, whatever, then they'd probably say it will be streamed at, or they would stream it via their site. Or if you read Autosport and those kind of mags, it will be here on this stream. Perfect, but how do you get people who aren't into it to watch it? Plus, Mm. if you're streaming stuff, I stream Netflix via PlayStation. So you'd have to have your PlayStation on. You'd have to direct it towards the relevant website to do that. Or you sit and watch it on your laptop. Mm. And it's not that easy to stream stuff from a laptop to a telly unless you're vaguely technically minded. Whereas if you just want to have it on... You have to know it's there, or it has to be literally put in front of you. So does this mean that the future for Formula One and for other kinds of motorsport is is an inevitable decline because they're just not getting exposure? Or does it mean that they have to get smarter about using social media, for example, to cultivate the fans they have and to reach new fans? F1's problem from someone who is outside of it. I followed it, I lost it. So from the outside, all I see is teams going, we did okay, we did really well, or well done other team, or look at our driver do an advert. You see them go, oh yeah, in coordination with, we did this. And you're like, the drivers are people. I don't care what watch the guy wears. I care if the race is exciting. The races, so I hear, aren't exciting 
because you know the Mercedes is going to win and you know it's probably going to be Lewis. Other than that, there's no reason to seek that out. Yes, it's the highest echelon of motorsport. And I get that Mercedes is putting a Formula One drivetrain in a road car, which, by the way, looks like one of the most boring hypercars known to man. <laughs> it's so... D- I we've saw it in Frankfurt. It's a bit 90s. We've said this on the programme not that long ago. It's, hang on, we've been here before. It's very good, <laughs> but it hasn't really advanced the cause in terms of appearance and charisma, has it? That much is true, yeah. It's very clever, but... Oh. But... It's so boring, that car. Sorry, I saw it in Frankfurt and I was just angry at it. (laughs) I looked at it and went, why aren't you exciting? The Red Bull, Mm. uh, whatever it's called, the Adrian Newey Red Bull Aston Aston Martin Valkyrie. Valkyrie. That looks more dramatic. Mm. Because it is. Yeah. Mm. I've seen that. It's good. Formula One has this lineup of personalities that you're told to care about. And it has this whole big circus surrounding it that you're supposed to care about because it tells you you're supposed to be excited about it. But in reality, there's one personality, at least in the UK, and that's Lewis, and that's fine. He is Lewis. Think of him what you will. But then there's not much else. There's not You're much telling else. me you don't I mean, love Kimmy? I like Kimmy, but if I hadn't have watched Formula One a little bit when I could, yeah. I wouldn't know about him right. unless yeah, I, I hung around in circles that knew, leave me alone, I know what I am doing. And Kimmy's appeal, Kimmy has to grow on you. You don't get him immediately. I wish he would. You know, he just... <laughs> <laughs> You're right. If you come yeah. to Kimmy Cole, you think, yeah, you could what just... is this grumpy sod who can barely string a sentence together or express himself? But because but of that, he has more him. charisma than Correct. Lewis Hamilton. I, yeah. And I bet he pays his tax. <laughs> oh, very good, very topical. Yeah, reminds me, I was going to buy a, a private jet. Yeah, 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 but so, I haven't got a Manx address. Hey, I, so. I, I know a trick you can pull. You're using it for business, aren't you? you know, yes, you, I am. You, so, you're yes. not taking any personal flights. No, so, yeah. I wouldn't dream oh, of it. Well, no, yeah, we'll work something out. Are you going to take your dog with you as well? Yes, it's a business dog. Business dog. Do you think he claims for the dog, Rosco? <laughs> What's he listed as? Essential Look. equipment. Pest control? Yeah, um, they have problems, don't they? Chief smell maker. <laughs> Feces <laughs> producer. I'm not a dog fan either. <laughs> so Lewis and I would probably not get on. <laughs> <laughs> he's flying the flag for British motorsport magnificently. He's a, he's a bit he's, of a tit and he doesn't pay tax. Come to Britain. He's an great. extraordinary driver. He's a. No, he is. Uh, I, 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 had, I had this conversation with someone on Twitter we could go earlier on. this week. You can respect someone for their job and he is the best in the world at his job he drives cars very well very quickly very competently however you can also dislike someone for how they present themselves absolutely i struggle with lewis i think i've said this on the program before there are days where i adore lewis or moments when he's driving and there are moments where i want to throw my cat at the screen because he's talking with an american accent that breaks my heart when he does that i just think oh Uh, I think you're being awfully mean. I think Lewis has had quite a difficult time kind of growing up in public in the glare of the cameras, and he went from being a tremendously talented and maybe slightly awkward young man to an adult in the full glare of publicity. I'm not in agreement with everything that Lewis thinks or a lot of his attitudes, but I'm a huge fan. I think he's an extraordinary driver. I think he's a tremendous... Uh, ambassador? Advertisement ambassador for yeah. modern Britain. But he should pay his taxes. Yeah. And speak <laughs> and, 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 for Britain. But, but, but I, Come to the UK. Live in Monaco. <laughs> or Switzerland. Keep your bank balance elsewhere. 
write poems about deceased royals. Now, well, well, uh, well, yeah. I'm also, I am also I'm very good at driving race cars. I do need to qualify not, everything I'm not I say about the Lewis Hamilton. I won't defend the poetry. But that's the thing. Lewis Hamilton is like a Superman movie. You have to make a good story in spite of the lead character. <laughs> He's very good. Interesting analogy. Interesting. He's very, very good, good at his He's... job, and that's it. No, 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 we can't leave it there. But he's more he's, he's more than good at it because he takes responsibility. He has character. I think he is... He's um, changed Formula One. You know, he's the first person to wear bling in the pit lane for 40 years, yeah. I think. Well, because as soon as you said bling, I immediately thought of Jackie Stewart. Hey, well, that's what I was you know, referencing. And so yeah. like 1970s, big sunglasses, yeah. the hair, the sideburns, yeah. you know, Mr. Super Cool. For 40 years. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same. You're not wrong. He's mixed... Race. No one ever mentions this about Lewis Hamilton anymore. He is the only non-flaming snowflake on that grid. Hmm. And for that alone, he deserves all our support because that's a tricky place to be, even in the 21st century, or particularly since the election of Trump. Do you know what I mean? Mm. We need to stand up for people like him. The last man of colour in Formula One was Malik Addo Ibrahim, who owned part of the Arrows team about 20 years ago. That was the nearest thing we ever had to seeing someone of colour in the pit lane. And F1 needs to engage. I'm surprised we haven't had more young mixed race and different race drivers coming through since Lewis. Clearly it takes time. Time. It's a generational well, it, thing. It, it does take time because it takes time for drivers to come through. The demographics, I'm pretty sure if you broke down the numbers, you'd find that motorsport in Britain does skew towards being a whiter sport than the country is as a whole. Probably. If the three people hosting this very programme at the moment, all male and between the ages of... Um, You're very kind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a very narrow demographic. Two of us are literally the same person. Yeah, Yeah, I've noticed this. It is a problem looking at both (laughs) of you here. We've got a very male and pale uh, crew here. Male and pale. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on Speed, the male and pale podcast. I'm sorry to say, he was Zog. Goodbye. He was Alex. Bye, Alex. Lovely to have you with us. Let me shake your hand again, team. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. It's like and looking in a sexy mirror. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't mean looking at me, you're looking no. across the microphone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was Gareth. See ya. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>